I needed to make time for myself, otherwise I'm just going to burn out. And I don't need to be the best at everything. I don't need to own everything and have everything myself. I just want to be a part of it now and, and let my ego get out of the way. Welcome to the I Make a Living podcast, brought to you by FreshBooks, the number one cloud accounting solution for small business owners and their teams. I'm your host, Damona Hoffman, and I'm one of you, an entrepreneur who will achieve my dreams come hell or high water. This requires a bit of stubbornness, some hustle, and a heck of a lot of confidence in myself. Today's guest is no different. Danny Kerr has an amazing story. From a young age, he faced many challenges at home and at school, but he knew deep down he was going to be a success. Today, he makes his living as the co-founder of Breakthrough Academy. Here's Danny on the mission of his business. I train other contractors who run their own business, um, business practices to help them basically scale up their business. So I think from financials to org structures to job descriptions to recruiting and training plans and all the things that come with running the back end of an organization, we work with tradespeople to help them that side of their business. And that's how we make a living. You said it so simply, Danny, but at the same time, I'll admit I got a little bit overwhelmed. (laughs) (laughs) There are so many elements when you're running a business in the trades and you're having to think through all of those things that you just said. So I want to break all of those elements down throughout the interview. But first, I want to know more about your own story because you couldn't know how to do all of this without going through it yourself, right? Totally. Yeah, no, I was just a just a lost university child at 18 years old. Just, and I was in criminology actually. I was studying to be a police officer, and there was a sign that said "Make 15 grand this summer, College Pro Painters." So, for those who know what that company is, they teach young students how to run their own small painting business. And um, yeah, at 18 years old, I was just, I was just honestly, I was like, well, I need to pay for university, so that sounds good. Why don't we try doing that? <laughs> and um, eventually got brought on by them and ran a franchise. So from 18 to about 26, I ran my own franchise area and basically just had my own staff, learned all the kind of basic fundamentals of running a business by you know being trained by a franchisor. And then over time became part of the company itself. So I worked for them and I hired and trained franchisees every year. So at one point we had about 150 franchises under me and another guy named James Dale's command. And we had about 400 painters and I was still in my 20s and I was basically just learning like the corporate structure of running a trades business at scale while... Wait, hold on, hold on. Before <laughs> we go further, Danny, you're telling me that you're you're in university, as you say over there in, yeah. in the States, we say college, but you're in your advanced studies. You had never painted before? No, never painted or run a business. I was 18, right? I was just fresh out of high school, just looking for opportunity and stumbled into this thing, so... And you didn't even start at the ground floor. You're not just like painting. You were like, let me step in and just basically start a franchise. Yeah, I was ambitious. I was just like, I, I know how to work hard. I know how to lead people. I want to be able to prove myself. Um, I had to buy you know, my own equipment and put some investment in, but I'd been saving money through all of high school. And I used all my savings basically to get involved to run a franchise. Totally. Yeah. That takes a lot of chutzpah. I would say <laughs> that's what my my grandmother would say. That takes a lot of chutzpah. Where did you get this kind of gumption, Danny, to start a company like that at such a young age? We didn't grow up with much. My mom pretty much raised me as a single mom on welfare and made 800 bucks a month. And I just remember 14, 15, I was just like, I, I don't want to live this way. We actually lost my dad a year prior to a drug overdose. And there was like a lot that went on at a younger age. And I was kind of just sick and tired of living that type of life. And I was just like, I don't, 
honestly trust the adults in my life to take me to where I want to be and I need to take control and do something. And so something broke inside of me, to be honest. And it was a good broken thing because I was like, I'm not just going to accept being, you know, I, I struggled in school too. So I was like, I'm not going to accept being a failing student. I'm not going to accept people thinking I'm a failure. And I'm like, I will figure it out. Whatever that looks like for success, I will figure it out. And when everyone else was just trying to get a girlfriend and, you know, whatever, do drugs on the weekend, I was like, I need to not become my dad and I need to grow up and go start something. I had a fire in my belly and at 18 I was ready to do something pretty real and I'd been saving for that reason. Like I didn't want to rely on my mom or anybody else for, you know, paying the bills. So I'd been saving my own money just in anticipation if anything went wrong that I had something to back me up and that went towards my first business. So it's funny like when you think about all of the opportunities that you get that you squander and in your case, it was like you didn't have the opportunities, so you made them for yourself. That's yeah. so inspiring. And you mentioned that you weren't so great in school before. I I read that you also have struggled with dyslexia. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that journey and even when you found out that you had this, I guess you would call it a learning disability and how you manage to navigate around that to still be successful. Sure. Yeah. No. And then, you know, I think a lot of people, especially entrepreneurs are dyslexic. They just don't find out till later in life or at all sometimes. But I remember like literally like all through like elementary school, it was just such a challenge, like reading and writing. And I was good at math actually. And I was good at like problem solving type exercises, but I was terrible at like reading and writing basically. And I remember doing things where I would just kind of like trick the teacher where I would only like do the one homework question that I had to do. Cause they would only ask, like I was the 10th desk. So I had to answer the 10th question. And I did all these little like, like side cheats to get through school <laughs> until finally I failed grade four. And it was, you know, basically a decision between the school and my mom and everybody that I probably needed to repeat grade four. And it kind of slapped me in the face a little bit being like, you can't just cheat through life. Like it's, you're going to get called out eventually and you have to face your demons. I didn't know at this point I was dyslexic, but I realized after that, like I have to work with my teachers. I have to problem solve. Like, how can I? And it was kind of one of those realizations where like, there's certain things I, I'm good at. There's certain things I'm terrible at. But if I'm constantly problem solving, like, how can I do these things? I'll find a way. Like, and instead of being defeated and being like, I can't do this, which I did for a lot of years. And also instead of being kind of like arrogant and being like, I can do this, even though I like, don't think I can. I just am in the space of like, how can I? And I'm in a problem solving space quite a bit. And that got me through a lot in my you know school years and gave me the confidence that showed me that I can do whatever I put my mind to and that I don't need to be cocky about it. And I also don't need to be defeated. I can just be in the process of figuring it out. Most people don't learn this lesson until later in life. Some people never learn it at all. Struggle leads to growth. Not only is it okay to ask for help, it can be crucial to your success in any aspect of your life. So keep your chin up and keep that ego in check. Danny took this newfound growth mindset and created solutions that would help him succeed. He graduated high school with a perfect 4.0, by the way. And then he found entrepreneurship. And I was like, I'm going to conquer the world and I'm going to go to university and be a police officer and here we go. And I realized pretty quickly, I was like, I feel like cattle being herded down the hallway. I don't feel like I'm achieving anything that I want to go do. I feel like I'm doing everything that the school system wants me to do. I'm spending money to do it. And I felt pretty just disconnected from like what I thought was going to be my future and was trying to figure out what that can look like. And, and so when I learned about this thing where you could get trained to run your own business, it just, it clicked. I was like, this is an option that I didn't, no one told me I could do, but it 
definitely, I'm an action oriented person. I like to learn by experience and putting my hands on things versus just sitting in a classroom. And I don't want to just sit and get a nine to five job and it just fit. It fits so well. And I knew it did. And, you know, I did one summer of running my own business and painting and I didn't go back to university. I decided I'm just going to continue in this business and let this be my education and learn by doing. And um, I do feel like there's a space for that in the world where a lot of entrepreneurs are told they need to go to school or just get a job. There's a, there's this third option that I don't think everyone realizes is out there, but it is. So it's funny. My six-year-old has gotten really into the game of life. You know, that board game. Mm -hmm. And literally it's exactly like you described. You get to a certain point at the game and it's like, which path are you going to take? The college career path or are you going to take the alternative career path? Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting how we put this emphasis on learning in a particular way. But you learned with your hands on the material. You learned in motion. But I imagine you also learned from mistakes. And I imagine there were some road bumps along the way. When you were running your own franchise, what was the challenge that you ran into and figured out how to overcome? Probably the biggest one is like, I am a workaholic and always have been. And that's actually how I got successful in a lot of things. Like I didn't get through school just because I was smart. I got through school because I studied three times as longer than anybody else to get the grades I got, right? So in my franchise, like that's just what I would do. Like I would just like, I, my motto was like, I may not outsmart you, but I will outwork you. And that was almost like an ego thing for me where I was just like, watch out, I'm coming. And it just killed me, right? So like 80 hours a week for six months of the year, I was working. And when you're younger, that's okay. But, you know, I've got my wife now with three kids. She's been with me since I was 16. And she's just like, look, like you got to get better at what you do or you're not allowed to be an entrepreneur and have kids with me. And I was like, shoot. <laughs> so she called me out pretty hard. And I had to force myself to just be like, look, like I'm a bit of a stubborn bull. Like I like to do things my way and I will work hard and I will get through it. But I had to realize like there needs to be more finesse or I'm just going to plateau. Right around the time I was moving from being a franchisee to working with franchisees. So I was kind of going into more of a general management role. And I remember asking my superior, I was like, I need to learn how to be a great manager of people. And I need to not just do it my own way anymore. And I'm humble to like learn. Can you just teach me? So I went through lots of classes in like priority management, situational leadership, conflict resolution, you know, strategic planning. And it wasn't natural for me, but I was forcing myself to take time away from my day-to-day -day crazy night life to like learn about how to be better slowly. And it took about four years to get it down, but I started to go from working 80 hours a week down to 40 hours a week. And I had more space. And because I had more space, I was able to think better. Because I was able to think better, I was able to make better decisions for the future and it started to kind of compound on top of itself. And probably the biggest thing I realized is, A, I needed to make time for myself. Otherwise, I'm just going to burn out. And B, there's other things I learned, which was I don't need to be the best at everything. If I can take the time to at least learn a bit of how to be better, I can actually start to find people, too, who can be who they are and be their best. And I can kind of put them in places that I could never dream to be as good as them at. I don't need to own everything and have everything myself. I just want to be a part of it now and, and let my ego get out of the way. Whew, this might be hard for some of y'all to hear, but you don't have to be the best at everything. This was a hard one lesson for me too, because I am literally the most competitive person I know. Like my husband doesn't even play board games with me competitive, but my mindset shifted when I saw my own daughter start to put herself under the same pressure that I used to. And I'm like, girl, nobody cares if you're the fastest at swimming the 25-meter butterfly in practices but you. Swimming with people who are faster will only make you stronger. Plus, everyone you're practicing with is on your team, so they're all rooting for you already. 
Danny found his dream team in two business partners, Igor and James. I know partnerships are on the minds of many of our listeners, but it's not always easy to find the right collaborators, to find people, like you said, with complementary skills, and then to be able to launch a successful business like you all have with Breakthrough Academy. It's like getting married. It's like a three-way marriage. <laughs> so, so first off, we have we have history together. So we've been working together, you know, Igor since I was 20 years old, James since I was about 18. So we've known each other sent from the college pro painting world, and we've worked together in a professional capacity in the past. I think we knew a couple things about each other, which was one, we had the exact same core values, and two, we had very different skill sets. And we'd learned over time to work together in that arena, right? I remember when we were planning an event, I was in charge of planning the event and Igor was in charge of getting people there. Really, those roles should have been reversed because I'm really good at hustling up people and he's really good at planning. (laughs) And so it was the first time that event did not go well, but it was the first time we had to stare at each other and be like, why did we not just switch roles, right? And so we started to learn early on how to work together and all the time realized as mad as we could be at each other, it didn't really matter because we had the exact same core values and and opinion on the big picture stuff. So little stuff just you just water under the bridge. And so it's very much like getting married to your spouse. Like you kind of can go through anything together and you can realize as much as that might stress you out together, you'll never kind of split up because you, you get it. You're on the same page. Nothing can rip you apart. And uh, it's like that with them and probably will be for the rest of our lives. So it's like a work marriage. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. Well, tell me in your experience with Breakthrough Academy, your goal is to help entrepreneurs, to help people in the trades, to make their businesses more successful. What would you say the biggest mistakes are that people come to you making that you're able to help them transform? So it's interesting. There's, there's a pattern that almost, not everybody, but almost everybody we work with has, which is I became successful in the trades because I had a background in doing it. So I started a business and I'm really good. So people wanted more of my work. And then I started to hire people. And now I'm in this new thing where I got to run a business, not just be a tradesperson anymore. And I'm trying to figure that out. And a lot of the people we meet, they start to feel this like the skill that it took to get this off the ground is not the same skill it takes to take it to this next stage in business. And I'm kind of figuring it out as we go. And it sucks. And mostly they've got these habits of, and what I had too, these habits of just get in there and do it yourself, work extremely hard. It'll work out eventually. They get burned out. And I always call it like there's an evolution that people have to go from being kind of like a grassroots level entrepreneur to more an enterprise level entrepreneur. And that evolution is often not natural for their brain because what made them successful in the beginning doesn't necessarily work as well to make them successful to that next stage. And they've, you almost got to like relearn but in the midst of also having this crazy fast-paced business on your hands, which is very challenging. So one of the things I see with most people is just helping them, A, find time, space to start to relearn, and then B, putting those things into practice in reality versus just talking about it. Because the actual implementation of something, it's a lot more complicated or it's just a lot more involving than people maybe give themselves time for. So, And you're helping people also to become more profitable. Mm-hmm. I think that's important. I would say like as an entrepreneur myself as well, like sometimes people have different feelings about becoming profitable, Mm -hmm. you know, what that means versus just doing your job, doing good work. But even the aspiration sometimes of like, oh, and I'd like to be compensated (laughs) well for the work that I do. There's almost like, I don't know if it's shame or fear or lack of self-esteem that I see sometimes entrepreneurs 
even cap themselves Mm -hmm. from what their true potential can be. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't know what the value is they're creating for others, right? So they're gauging it based on themselves and saying, well, this is what I would pay for that. So why would I charge more than that? But they're not focused on the value they're creating. What's the value that you're creating, right? So if you're a contractor and you're going to do a renovation for somebody, you know, A, you're creating physical value in their home and giving them an appreciation on everything that they're putting into. You're giving them joy with their family. You're giving them time back, which they're not having to do it themselves. These people, you know, who are getting these renovations done or whatever it is, probably make a certain amount of money, probably have a certain reality they want to live within. And what's the value that you're creating for that? That's an easier indicator of how much you should charge. So one thing I see with a lot of businesses is they, they'll come in and they'll say, yeah, like we're closing at like 75%. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Why are you closing so high? Why are 75% of the jobs you're quoting coming in? They're like, because we're great. Because we do such great work. I'm like, I know. And then often, not all the time, but often I look at their profitability. I'm like, you're not making a ton of money though. They're like, yeah, I know we're working on that. And I'm like, I would rather see you closing at 50% of the jobs you do, charging a little more and actually being able to be profitable on the back end. When you see somebody with a high closing ratio, because everybody loves them and a low profitability, they're not charging for the value they're creating. Whoa. Mind blown, Danny, because um, honestly, I've never heard that before, but it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense because then you know that you're charging what you're worth because for some people it's going to be out of the range. Like you, I'm a bit of a workaholic. I'm obsessed with time, managing time, maximizing time. What about the time for like pitching or giving bids for jobs that you don't actually get? Because I think a lot of people would look at that as wasted time. Yeah, and it should all be factored into the, to running a business, right? Like if you're an owner operator and you do all your own projects yourself and you charge yourself out at 40, 50 bucks an hour, you start to feel pretty good about that in the first month or two or even year because you're out there making more money than you did from your employer. But then you start to realize, wait a minute, I have to spend every Saturday giving quotes and I have to spend every Friday night, you know, rounding up my numbers and getting my invoices out. Wait a minute, I've got to spend extra time marketing because we need more work than even you know, I'm currently getting for myself. And you start to put it all together and you're like, oh, that's why I'm charging more than I used to get paid because there's overhead required to run the business, right? And the business is its own entity. And that requires both my time and soon to be other people's time and other people and other costs to running the company. And so you have to think as your business as its own little baby and you have to feed that thing properly. And if you're just feeding yourself, you can starve your own child and it can go out of business quickly because you'll just paid yourself all this money. You're not used to charging to supply for new staff, new, new processes, new, new technology, and you just become an owner operator, you know, worker B for your own company. It's yeah, it's important to realize like I can charge out, you know, say 50 bucks an hour, I can pay my people 25 and now I've got this extra 25 to pay myself a bit, but also to put into the business and it needs to go both ways. Danny's dropping some major truth today, friends. You aren't a worker bee. You are a queen or a king if those exist in the bee kingdom. So run your business like you are planning for success and growth. What would you say to people who are at that point of probably needing to grow, but being afraid of the next step. So here's the best thing you could do for yourself. Everyone gets a, a nervous because they're like, oh, I gotta hire somebody and they're gonna cost me all this money and I'm gonna like I, I pay them 40 grand. I only make 50 grand, then I'll only make 10. And like they're focused on the difference of what the current reality is, right? First thing they should do is make a list of all the things they do in a week. Circle the stuff that's highest time consumption and lowest skill. 
that's going to be your lowest hanging fruit stuff. That's probably the cheapest to delegate out, right? It's not complicated. It's the stuff that you're just manually doing all the time that could be brought in for a salary or for a wage that's lower than maybe some of the other things that you do. With that, say, okay, that's going to be a, whatever, $20 an hour person. They're going to work, whatever. Let's not even call it full-time yet. They're going to work 20 hours a week. So I need to kind of figure out how to make an extra $400 in profit a week. Okay, well, what is it? where does that come from? Well, I've got all this freed up time now because I'm not spending 20 hours a week doing what I was doing. Maybe I should put that into sales and marketing, right? And maybe I can use that extra time to bring in more jobs. And usually if you realize that you're delegating out the low-skilled stuff and you're working on the high-skilled stuff, you're exponentially like doubling up your ability to create value for the company. The first person we ever hired at Breakthrough Academy, besides the team I was with, with James and Igor, was a girl named Caitlin Kaufman. She's still with us to this day. She's my administrator. She works on the back end. I suck at admin, like nobody's business. And she doubled my effectiveness. And that year, we effectively doubled our sales. Well, that's a, that's a ringing endorsement, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's the potential. And you're so right that people look at what's in front of them right now, as opposed to what is the potential if you could devote your time to something else. In terms of marketing, people at the I Make a Living Live events always seem to ask questions about social media. And I would imagine in like a B2C business, like many of these trade businesses are, that there's probably some element of social media strategy that is important in business growth right now in the current world we live in. But I'm open to being proven wrong. What do you think? I think that depending on the size and scale of your business, there are different ways that social media can be effective. Because I think when you're in startup mode, you can get excited and go spend all this extra money on Facebook ads and Google AdWords and try and get out there with all this advertising stuff. When sometimes it's just people that see your projects and like them on Pinterest. And suddenly, you know, there's a bit of a word of mouth thing that comes out of that. I think that there needs to be a good balance in business in general between active and passive strategies. So active strategies are calling past customers, asking for referrals, can't do it anymore, but going to trade shows, doing door-to-door if you need to, you know, putting up signs and flyers in the area that you're working in, like active stuff where you're in front of your customer and you're able to actually have a conversation. And in the beginning, those are often the most needed things to go do, right? Because if you just go put a bunch of stuff online and don't have any active strategy, people have no context to who you are. You're just going to go in one ear out the other. As you get that moving and as that becomes a bigger and bigger engine that drives work for your organization, now bringing in passive strategies can start to be a more and more effective tool because people have seen you once or twice but kind of forgot about you. But now you're sending out reminders by having you know your own little post every week that people rely on and having pictures that they like and having little school stories that keep you in their mind. And you're already established as an authority because you've been actively marketing in all these other ways. And I think a good combo between active and passive allows someone to actually get the best of both. But if it's all passive, you usually, especially in the beginning, you're usually just going to burn a bunch of time and money and not see a ton of results. If it's all active and you never move off of that, you're going to feel like you're always pushing your brand down people's throats. I would also imagine while we're talking about the online identity of your business, reviews, Yelp, Google, all of these places where people, anybody who interfaces with your business, whether they're a customer or not, may leave a review. What is your strategy about leveraging reviews, about bad reviews, and how much stock we should really put into them? Well, we refer something called Broadly, which is a piece of software that essentially every time a job gets completed, the crew is instructed to ask for a review. So here's the best way to ask for a review. You wait till the customer's wowed, right? So they've just wowed them, you finish the job, whatever it is. 
<laughs> and you say, great, you know, like, how did you find the job? They're like, it was amazing. These are all the things we enjoyed about you guys. Awesome. And all you say is, cool. Do you know anybody else that would get value from something like this? Oh, maybe. You're so cool. Let us know. If you have anybody, just let us know. Also, would you be open to sharing your experience online? Ask them right when they've been wowed. By doing it through Broadly, they will basically have you log in and type in a star out of five. And if it's a one or a two out of five, it goes straight to your company. And it basically says, hey, you got a problem. You might want to call this customer and figure it out. If it's like a four or a five, it goes straight to Google review or Facebook review or wherever you establish it to go. And so it drives all your positive reviews online and it alerts you of issues right away. Oh, that's complex, but (laughs) important, I would say. When you're asking for the review, it's amazing how quickly things can change and how many people are willing to support your business when you just ask. Totally. People get it. And if you don't ask, they don't think to do it. I know how many, like lots of people ask me and I'm just always happy to because I get it, especially as an entrepreneur, I really get it. But yeah, ask them when you've them. If there's nothing else you know, that I just said that made sense, just ask them when you wild them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before I let you go, I also would love to get any other big picture growth strategies for people, whether they're in the trade industry or not. Mm. A lot of people are side hustlers listening and entrepreneurs of different types. And I think everybody wants the kind of success that you have and that Breakthrough Academy creates for so many other people. Any other high-level growth strategies that people should be thinking about that we haven't covered? It's not so much a strategy, but a skill. If there's one skill to get good at for the future of being an entrepreneur, it's recruiting. So if you think about it in 2008, what was the like finite thing that most entrepreneurs couldn't get enough of? We all needed. What was going on? We had the recession. We all money. needed work. We all needed to learn how to... <laughs> we all needed money. We all needed to learn to sell and market. And, and although that still may be true... For a lot of us, even through coronavirus, especially in the contracting space, I know this isn't true for every industry, but for contracting, we actually got busier. And in an industry where you've got less and less young people stepping up to kind of, you know, take the boots of the older people, and you've got more and more work and demand coming into the marketplace, you've got a huge vacuum where you just do not have enough people available to work. And if you're thinking you're going to win this game by being the best at sales and marketing, you're wrong. You will win this game by being the best at recruiting, training, and operating people. And learning how to really drive and, and motivate young people. And I think if there's one skill to get good at over the next 10 years, it's recruitment and development of people. Wow. That's, um, that's different, Danny. That's a different perspective. <laughs> but I, I definitely appreciate it. And uh, it's a skill set that, you know, I've <laughs> I had to learn the hard way how to develop. But I did okay. I did okay. Producer Leo is listening. <laughs> <laughs> I did quite well with her. Before we go, we always ask our guests to share one piece of advice, the last or best piece of advice that you either gave or received? Um, you know what? Actually, it's on a sticky note. It's on my desk. It says, uh, is this going to be great long-term? So this is actually from my business partner, Igor, but I have more ideas than I know what to do with. So I'm the guy that's like 20 ideas a day and I'm like, we can do all these things. And I see opportunity and everything. And it does often derail us from the bigger picture. Right, And so out of 50 ideas, there might be one really good one that we should capitalize on and move on and do something with. But the other 49 are not great. And so he always asks me before I come to him or anybody with an idea, I just sit and think for a second. I'm like, is this actually going to be great long term? And for most entrepreneurs, we all suffer from ADD, whether we actually do or just, you know, I call it just another darn distraction. It happens to us every day. We need to sit and stop for a second before we jump on a new advertising idea or a new you know, type of way to make money or a new project or a new hire and just be like, is this going to be great long term? Does this fit? 
As someone who struggles with what my productivity coach calls shiny object syndrome, I can absolutely relate. (laughs) Pro tip, before you start working on your new ideas, great or otherwise, finish the ones you started. You owe it to yourself to give each idea its just due. Plus, you won't have 80 unfinished projects that are just abandoned the next time a bright, shiny new idea comes along. If you're looking for more guidance from Danny, be sure to check out Breakthrough Academy's Business in a Box. So we built a whole, kind of almost like a business in a box tools from everything from your financial management to recruitment to job descriptions to behavioral interviewing, free. So if people are interested in just getting some actual business tools uh, from what we do, feel free to download it and we can help you out. We'll put that link in the show notes. These are the valuable lessons that we learned from Danny today. Give that ego a rest and take some help every once in a while. It takes a village. Your business needs the right team to thrive. Make a list today of the tasks that require the lowest amount of skill and experience, but the most time. Those are the tasks that you will be delegating to your team. Ask for feedback immediately when your customer has been wowed. Don't let a good review slip through your fingers. You can learn from Danny and the Breakthrough Academy at btacademy.com. This podcast was brought to you by FreshBooks, the number one cloud accounting solution for small business owners and their teams. Let us be your dream team. Use our tools and in-house accounting experts so that you can get back to doing what you love. We're here to help. You can check out an exclusive offer that is just for our podcast listeners at freshbooks.com slash I-M-A-L. Again, that's freshbooks.com slash I-M-A-L short for I make a living. Our audio engineer and composer is James Morris. Our associate producer is Leo Shell Villanueva. Our producer and director is Paco Erzmendi. And I'm your host and producer, Demona Hoffman. I'd love to connect with you. I'm at Demona Hoffman on all of the socials or at DemonaHoffman.com. And go out and build your dream team because it's your business. See you next week. <laughs>